the Behind the Seams podcast. I'm your host, Nunzio Signore, looking to bring you great dialogue with some of the best in the world of player development. The world of training baseball players has changed dramatically during the past few years, and I'm looking forward to shedding some light here on what's the latest, what's the best, and what's really happening in the world of player development. Thanks for joining me for the ride. Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. Before we begin, I want to tell you about our new remote training programs here at RPP. We've been offering remote training for quite some time, but we always required athletes to come in-house for assessments. Now, we can do the whole assessment online, and we're really excited about bringing all of our services, pitching, hitting, and strength training, to your doorstep. So if you like what we do and how we do it, check it out on our website at rocklandpeakperformance.com under remote training in the toolbar. Thanks. Hey guys, welcome to the Behind the Seams podcast. I'm Nunzio Signore, and today we're speaking with TJ Hunt. I've known TJ for many years, going back to our days when we started RPP at Slotesburg, New York, and it's a great pleasure to have him on the show today. TJ is the Director of Scouting and Operations for PBR in New Jersey. There is really no one better to discuss the current state of recruiting than showcase operators on the front lines, and TJ is one of the best. So before we get to the show, I just wanted to briefly cover TJ's background, because if there is such a thing as a baseball family, the, um, the hunts are it. So let's start with his grandfather, the late Jim Hunt, who spent much of his life coaching baseball at Englewood, Tenafly High Schools, and Fairleigh Dickinson. TJ's father, Mickey, was also head coach at Ramapo. His older brother, Shooter, currently with PBR as well, was a college star at Tulane and was drafted in the first round of the 2008 MLB draft by the Minnesota Twins. His younger brother, KC, is currently with Mississippi State and was selected by the Pittsburgh Pirates in the 12th round of the 2022 MLB draft, but has chosen to return to school for this spring. TJ himself is a 2015 graduate of Monmouth, where he pitched for four years and played for the Rockland Boulders after graduation. How did I do there, man? That's pretty good, right? That's good. That's perfect. That's right on. <laughs> and to cap right it on. off, I believe he got married recently. So uh, congratulations on that, my man. We'd like to welcome to the show today, Director of Scouting and Operations for PBR, TJ Hunt. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Nunzio. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. It's uh, been a long time since we've seen each other up in uh, yeah, Slotesburg on the, you know, in the I, in the gym there. This so. guy's so busy. Like I, I asked him three times if he could get get him on the show, <laughs> and I thought he didn't like me anymore. I was like, "What's going on? Here? I can't can't get a, can't this guy to give me an answer." First, I have to ask, what's it like being raised as a hunt? You've come from a lineage of ball players. I think every baseball family has their own unique. You know, stories associated with them. What was it like growing up? What was the protocol? What was, you know, was it mandatory to play baseball? Just tell us what it's like a little bit. <laughs> no, it was, um, it was fun growing up. There was a lot of wiffle ball games, a um, lot of tournaments, a lot of games that we went to, um, a lot of games playing, a lot of games watching. You know, I was, you know, always going to my older brother's games and then, you know, my younger brother was coming to my games and I was going to his games. So it was, a lot of traveling, um, but all which is good. a, you know, a good think, learning curve. Good learning curve oh, to yeah, watch, sure. you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think we spent a lot of summers just out in the backyard, just any like, like any kid would do, like playing with your brother and competing and learning how to compete, and a lot of tears, I'm sure, <laughs> uh, yeah. a lot of frustration, but uh, it was good. It was all good. 
Awesome. What's it What's it like running a showcase business? I mean, I know my buddy Dan Savet at PBR New York, he's all over the place. Um, I know you guys get pulled in a million different directions. Can you give us some of the big players in the day-to-day of TJ Hunt? What is it like? What goes on every day on a daily basis here? It's it's certainly rewarding. Um, you know, you, you, I, I feel like we're, we're like the liaison between, you know, the college coach, the travel coach, and the kid and, and his parents. You know, I think... Um, you know, we're, we're constantly trying to figure out what dates are good dates for, to have a PBR showcase event. Um, we're constantly talking to college coaches on, you know, you know, just bouncing ideas off of them for just events and also rankings. Like we, I'm sure Dan's the same way in New York and Pennsylvania, but he's got his, uh, his group of coaches and scouts that he bounces ideas and evaluations off of just to make sure that he's on the same kind of track. Um, as far as that goes, but the, the day to day is, you know, just lots of emails and, you know, you're the trying emails to put out some have content. To be, yeah. the emails have to be amazing, <laughs> amazing. A lot of yeah. emails, right? Oh yeah. The emails, they, they certainly come. It, it's, it, there's definitely an ebb and flow to it, especially when, you know, you haven't done a rankings update in a couple months. So um, you don't really hear from those angry parents or kids about, you know, why is my son here versus there, but um, it's all good. It's all part so, of the job. So that's my next question, rankings. How do you rank kids? And do you receive those difficult emails from parents about rankings? How do you deal with that situation? So two-part question, how do you rank the athlete? And once you do rank the athlete, I know you're going to tell me that you get these emails. So there's no way you can't. (laughs) How do you deal with those situations? So the evaluation process, I think everybody kind of goes about it a little bit differently. And if you ask um, any other PBR state, they'll tell you a li- something a little bit different or even a college coach. But the way I like to think about it is if you know you come to a PBR event, you're obviously going to get your video and all of your metric stuff. Um, I think that that is equivalent to a kid like taking the SAT or the ACT in high school, right? You're going to get your, your metrics and your scores, but you also need to figure out if the kid, you know, it, is actually good, right? You're going to try to figure out if this kid is like, he's actually diligent in his work and you're going to look at his GPA. Like, is he a fluoro student and he's got a 1600 on his SAT or is there some type of discrepancy there? Right. I think the GPA is equivalent to the gameplay. Does the kid actually perform in game? Like, is he going to put out 105 exit velocity in a showcase event when the ball is right down the middle for him? And is he going to hit doubles and home runs in the game? I think it's all, you know, engrossed into evaluating a player. So this might sound like a dumb question, but those GPAs, are they, they included in an athlete's ranking? Does that have anything to do with an athlete's ranking? No, not not so much. Okay. Okay. Because I do see, I do see it on social media. The GPA is always obviously listed, which is important. You know, sure. Um, yeah. But I didn't know if that has any weight in his ranking. When you're ranking guys at a tournament, at an event, what are the categories and how are they ranked? There's a bunch of different ones, right? Uh, the obvious ones are velocity, pitching velocity, right? If if we're at like a tournament event, we're looking at velocity, and then after that, we're looking at pitchability, location. Can he spin the ball? How's the breaking ball? Is it? sharp or is it kind of just like floats in there and uses gravity to break um you know as a hitter at, in the games um we're, we're looking at if the kids that just you know, just the best player in the field like does he make consistent hard contact 
you know, is it late in the game and is he stepping up and he's hitting a double in the gap and he's putting his team ahead? Like that stands out, right? You know, I think guys also point to like how he carries himself on the field, right? Like, does he run off on and off the field? Like, does he, if he strikes out, is he throwing his helmet and, you know, cussing up a storm in the dugout? I tell my guys all the time, get as athletic as possible because a big, sure. strong body exudes confidence. A lot of times coaches will make a slight decision before they even see you play. They're looking for number nine and they look at number nine out in the field. Number nine's got this really great physique and he just, it just, they're ready to like this guy. And I, no, I, absolutely. I think that Kaifotic rounded shoulders and sitting there and, you know, just not being that developed. I think sometimes, even though that might be a great player, the initial interpretation of that is this guy might be a little lazy. Do you agree with that? Because I do know that I speak with a lot of high-level pitching coaches in college, and one of the things they look for when they're ranking their guys is frame, is size, athletic, athletic build. If they pass the eye test, like you're you're going to lock in on that kid, right? Like he's got broad shoulders, you know, he's got that reverse triangle physique, right, with the shoulders. Right. Um, you know, that's going to stand out. And then the true evaluation process comes in. How does he move on the field? Right. Is he kind of cloggy in the infield or does he actually move well? And he's got that frame. So, um, yeah, very important. So the body language and behavior, what type of behavior works best in an athlete's favor during a showcase? You had mentioned, uh, what are some recommended do's and don'ts behavior wise? You started mentioning like, does he throw his hat? Does he throw his bat? Are there any other things that you can give some guys, uh, some pointers that like when they come to a showcase, you know, what we like to see and what we don't like to see. Yeah, just guys that are just always upbeat, you know, like just they want to be there. They want to play. They want they they're so happy to be on a field and competing. Right. You get guys sometimes at events where it's, you know, it's it's hot and they're kind of just dragging along and you know going through the motions. And that's not really a good thing that we want to see. We want to see guys that are excited to be there and they want to, you know, hop out on the field and perform as best they can. In terms of the different kinds of showcases, some have scouts, some simply collect data for recruiting purposes. Can you give us a rundown of the differences in how these two showcases are run? Um, so, yeah. So we we run showcases pretty much year round. I mean, some states will run them like all year round, 12 months out of the year. I think I like to run them, you know, up until late October and then we'll take from late October to Christmas or a little after Christmas off. Um, just to give everybody a rest. But um, a lot of the the showcase stuff and the scheduling of the events is predicated on the dead period and the quiet period of Division One, right? So, you know, I, I think a lot of that is involved in our scheduling. And even though we run events in the wintertime when the, dead, the Division One dead period is going on, um, those are the events where we're trying to collect the 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 metrics and and post social media on on the top guys. Um, I think once the recruiting calendar opens up, you know, throughout the spring and summer, that's when we're going to strategically, you know, schedule the bigger events, you know, to get the the college coaches there. Um, it's kind of a balancing game for us, to be honest with you. Um, you know, you have to just figure out like, all right, like this, this is going on here. This is going on there. This is a good day to do a big, you know, invite only event. I'm going to expect a lot of scouts here, but even if there aren't scouts there, I think it's incredibly beneficial. We have, like I said, we have the track man, the blast data that you know all about. And, you know, we, we get the video and we have the social media coverage. And like I said, at the beginning of the podcast here, like constantly in communication with, with the college coaches and, I can't tell you how many texts I get after an event happens that that we have where 
you know, it's during the dead period and they're like, Hey, can you have Johnny call me at six o'clock tonight? Look good on, on Twitter. Look, everything looked great. So, um, there's benefits to all of it. Yeah. You guys definitely run a really, really tight ship. And I'm, I'm really impressed with that. A question for you about some advice to young athletes and parents being in the private sector. A lot of times I see some kids Maybe it's just me, but it seems that they're overdoing it at times in regards to going to showcases. Probably see that kid who shows up at every single one, not much change in anything. How should young athletes and parents determine which showcases are appropriate for them? There's so many options. I think parents and athletes could use some help here as to, I always tell guys, listen, man, you got to also make sure you're not going there and showcasing yourself off the list. Right. Ex- yeah. Ex- you know what I mean? Exposure or being exposed, right? Like exactly. That's, that's the whole can, so can you let some p- parents know, you know, how do you determine which is right for your kid? I think a good baseline Nunzio is, um, you know, and, and you know, from training guys, right? Like you're going to start at, at a baseline and then in six weeks, we're going to measure you again, right? Exactly. We're going to measure your power output. And if, if nothing increases, then we have to make some type of change in our training, Right. I think that's very similar to, you know, attending a showcase, right? It's, it's really important to attend one where you get your baseline numbers, right? And then after every so often, if you're training, you know, four or five months goes by, you come to another one and boom, now all of a sudden your seven, six, 60 yard dash has turned into a seven, one yard dash, right? Or your exit velocity was at 78. Now it's at 87, you know? So that just tells you more of the picture of the player. And I think that's important too, in, in from a from an evaluator standpoint, right? From a college coach's standpoint, where this kid, he was five foot ten, 150 pounds back in February. Projectability. Yeah, now he's five eleven, you know, 175 pounds, and it's July, and his numbers have have improved, right? And that 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 just shows that whole graph, like that line graph of where the kid's going, right? The projectability of where he'll be, and guys and college coaches are projecting you know, players that are sophomores, where they're going to be in three, four years when they get on campus, right? So if a kid's, you know, skinny and slender, he's putting up okay numbers, but he's gradually increasing over the course of a year's time. That's, that's a no brainer for a college coach and a recruit. That was some unbelievable information. And I'll tell you why that is exactly like you said, that's exactly what we look at when we're looking at velocity or we're looking at anything except exit velocity, um, running speed. Our job is to take a baseline and make it better. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of times people confuse these two methods, the showcase and the training. And I, I think that one isn't competing with the other. One is enhancing the other. So when you go to a showcase and you guys do baseline metrics on guys, they should come mm-hmm. in. We should now have a game plan of what to do to make sure the next time they show up at one of your showcases, okay, these metrics are great. These metrics need to improve. So we need to do this. It kind of gives the guy a game plan from you on what needs to improve next time. And I really, really try to encourage the parents to take these tournaments. And like you said, 
if you're throwing 78 miles an hour and then, you know, you're throwing 79 miles an hour six months from now, you know, you might, you might want to wait until, you know, you're throwing harder and investigate why you're not throwing harder and do some work in between those showcases to make sure that you are and use places like the private sector, like, like my place or other mm-hmm. places that are going to say, okay, well, you're right. Your, your 60 time was, was a, needs to be improved. Let's work on things that are going to make your 60 time improve, you know? Mm-hmm. So these showcases, I think parents just keep trying to stuff a square peg into a round hole. They don't yeah. really realize that, you know what, show some projectability from year to year, and that's going to be the best way to get somebody's attention. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think you have to invest in yourself, right, when you're when you're in high school. And if your true goal is to play college baseball, then it, it requires doing all of the above, right? It requires you, you know, doing what you can in the weight room to get stronger. It also requires you to when the spotlight's on you to perform, right? So it's, it's all, it's all part of the process. So what trends are you seeing that are positive and what some that you may think are negative from a player development standpoint, everybody's getting involved in player development, player development. I see a lot of teams trying to add this or, or private sector places trying to add this and everyone's trying to focus on player development, which it's very cool. It's a very, it's a great thing. How is it different from five years ago, do you notice player development? What what differences have you seen and um, positives or negatives? I, I've definitely seen more guys invested in, like just anecdotally, invested in working out and getting in the weight room. I've definitely seen guys, um, I think guys now, as opposed to when we were first getting to know each other, are way stronger and way more athletic than they than they were five, six, seven years ago. I and agree 100%. That's that's awesome. I think I think they're really kind of taking accountability for, um, you know, what's needed when you get to campus, right? If if a if a prospect goes to a college, you know, campus, right, for a practice, regardless of the division, they're going to see guys that are way more physical than they are, right? And it a lot of the times when freshmen get to campus, they have they get kind of in this this rut where they're like, man, like I got I got this. 23 year old senior in front of me, I'm just turning 18. He's 225 pounds and he bench presses, you know, whatever, 300 pounds. He's way stronger than I am. I'm still, I'm not there yet. Right. And that's, that's a tough, you know, that's a tough pill to swallow when you get on campus. And I think guys have started to realize that. And I think facilities like, like your facility um, have really, you know, tried to hone in on what it takes to get to campus and actually produce, right? And be be somebody that the coaches are looking forward to maybe as in their sophomore year where they can get more playing time. I'll tell you a great story that happens every single year at least once. Guys go off, my seniors go off to college and these are guys that I've generally had maybe one or two years, three years, some four years, you know, in the weight room and and working on their strength and their mechanics and their speed. They'll go in as freshmen and the coach will call me up and he'll say, hey man, I just want to let you know, so-and-so, he showed up here and he's stellar in the weight room. I've actually gone to the point of using him, the strength and conditioning coach is using him as examples of what really good form is. And it gives a freshman, like, as you just said, a freshman comes in and gets like buried by a a bigger, stronger guy, or a freshman comes in with a really good base 
learning base, autonomy of how to move and strength. And all of a sudden, this acclimates this kid a lot quicker with the upperclassmen because he's in the weight room. And I think he gains the respect that he deserves a lot quicker than if he was coming in there and just like, you know, feeling buried. Yeah, there's there's definitely a psychological effect for a kid who's, who's strong enough and has the aptitude right in the in the weight room. Do you see a difference in guys drastically sometimes when you see them from year to year? You just see the bodies because you're looking at guys right during the growing phase. You're seeing kids. You must see some kids and just go, oh, my God, dude. Like yeah. <laughs> last year, you, I, you were know four what? inches shorter. It's funny that you say that. There's a kid um, that I do lessons with. Um, he's a left-handed pitcher. He's pretty good. He was like, you know, mid-70s, but he was still kind of growing. I saw him again this um this winter i was like man oh man your your shoulders are strong your chest is popping out and the ball's coming out a little bit harder you know so i i give credit whenever i see guys after a year if i don't see them from march to you know to january when we start lessons again i'm like man oh man you really put in the work and the time it's it's good it's and it's showing off and that kid's going to walk out of that place floating after you tell him. Yeah. That's that's <laughs> oh, a I... that's a beautiful thing to tell a kid because it really it just I can't even tell you it's like a shot of adrenaline in the arm for that kid. I'm trying to emphasize the fact of how important it is for kids to feel athletic because when they feel athletic, there's a, a there's a healthier mindset there. I think. I got sure. one more. I got one more question for you. Without naming any teams, I know you're you're not in a position to do that, nor do you want to do that. But without naming any travel teams, what are some qualities that parents and young athletes should look for? Because you deal with a lot of travel teams. Mm -hmm. What are some qualities that you would say to look for or to stay away from when you're searching out a good travel team, travel? Yeah, Um, that's a good question. I think um, there's a lot of different avenues you could go about playing travel baseball. Do you want to play locally? And is your goal to play at a local college? And have to find the local team, right. To play on. Um, if you want to kind of see where you're at in terms of like, you know, a regional kind of college goal, I think you have to look at the pedigree of the travel program, how long have they been around, you know, how many commits have they had over the last couple of years and you know, what, what context does the coach have? I don't think necessarily the coach is going to like say, Oh, I have contacts at this school and that school. I don't, I think that's disingenuous in general. So that's something um, to actually look, look out for. Yeah. I think, I think that's a good pedigree to have for sure. Yeah. Just to look at, you know, s- to see what, where guys went and, you know, just to get a general idea of, of what, what they do. I think it's also important to see if they still have it, like the last couple of years of where their teams have played, like what tournaments they've gone to, what events they've, they've been to, right. You know, do they go down South for, you know, to Georgia or do they, do they kind of stay locally or travel within the, like a two to three hour radius? That'll give you more of a general idea of, you know, what type of contacts these coaches have, right? Like if they're only traveling in a two, three hour radius, chances are they only have contacts in a two, three hour radius. Um, but I think it, it has to, you have to kind of have to work backwards in my opinion, like have to establish where you want to go, like where, what's, what's your plan? Do you want to stay up North where it gets cold, you know, for half the year? Or do you want to, you know, go down south and, you know, play where it's always warm? You know, do you want to stay, you know, in the northeast where you're close to home and you can travel home every so often? Or do you, do you not care about that? Do you want to go far away? In that case, then I think it's important to to travel as much as you could financially can. So um, de- definitely different ways you can go about finding a good travel team. 
So as far as what a travel team may offer you or your son or daughter, as far as long-term athletic development, what would you say are, you know, you can, you can look for in a, in a really good organization? I think good, um, good contacts with like, you know, facilities such as yourself, like, like a good gym. Um, I think a strong kind of structure for off season, you know, whether it's a pitcher having a, a throwing program during the winter to get them prepared for tryouts in, in March, just having like a general kind of structure um, of, of where they need to be and, and the steps they need to take when they're not playing baseball, right? Because the baseball part's easy. They can schedule games. We can play, you know, at really any field, June, July, August, even in September, right? But the difficult part is kind of forecasting what I need to do so I'm not at the same place as I was at the end of the fall season come, you know, next March, April. 100% long-term athletic development. Where am I going yeah. to put my kid where I, he's 14 now that I know at 16, he has developed so great that, mm-hmm. you know, you're doing a good thing. You're doing your kid a service by doing that kind of, you know, correct sure. me if I'm wrong. Um, no, absolutely. This has been great, man. It, it, it's been so great seeing you once again. How can people reach out to you, TJ? How can they reach you? Through- through email, uh, hunt at prepbaseballreport.com, on Twitter at PBR New Jersey, and on Instagram at PBR New Jersey. Um, DM if you need, email if you need. I'll, you know, I'll get right back to you. Great. And you guys can reach me at, at Nunzio Signore on Twitter. My facility, RPP underscore baseball, is on Twitter and Instagram. Our website is rocklandpeakperformance.com. If you haven't um, checked out my book on velocity-based training, how to apply science, technology, and data to maximize performance, you can get that through Human Kinetics. You You can also purchase it on Amazon. Once again, we'd like to thank TJ Hunt from PBR New Jersey for being on. It's always great to see him. It's been a while. And thanks for being on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. This has been great. And uh, we'll see you on the next episode of Behind the Seams Podcast. Take care. 